Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurian Gai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Tifanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. Oh, we're back! It's been such a great break and I missed you so much and we're back. Hello! Hi, I didn't really know what to do with myself on weekends if we didn't have this. <laughs> I know, it felt weird, right? Like there was no lovely end to the week where we were just like, yep, it's Saturday, doing the thing. Every day kind of melted into another and I had no idea what day it was. Yeah, I mean, that always happens between Christmas and New Year, doesn't it? Where you're like, I yeah. have no idea what day of the week it is. Could be any day. It's a mystery. Every day is a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it kind of gets about four o'clock. I'm like, I'm just going to have a nap again. Yes. <laughs> That's the spirit. That's what summer is for. It's just hot and life is difficult going back to work and doing things. So nap away, I say. I feel for everybody who's going back after a Christmas break, a holiday break, because you know what holiday is. You've just been there. You know that it's better and you're at work again. I feel like it's been really particularly bad this year. Everyone I speak to at work is just like, can I retire yet? Including, you know, the 26-year-olds I work with. Everyone's (laughs) just like, I need to retire. I don't want to do this anymore. Real anti-work sentiment across the board. Yes. I'm getting that from my husband, who is just very over it. He doesn't want to be over it, but he is very over it. Yeah, which is not a great way to be straight after what's supposed to be your big recharge holiday, right? Mm-hmm. But I think just year three of a pandemic and everything, it's yeah. just it's too much. Oh well. oh, well. We have this to look forward to, and that's all we need. Yes, we are now undergoing our post-pandemic preparedness course. The first text is... <laughs> is Mad Max, so we know exactly what to do when the apocalypse comes. Feels very prescient, (laughs) not gonna lie. I know, I was watching it, I was just like, oh man, this is a little on the nose. (laughs) Oh gosh. Did you have anything this week sparking joy for you? Well, I actually took Friday off. Um, We have a long weekend in Wellington this weekend, so I took Friday off. So that means I've got a four-day weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, So yesterday I just lay in the sun and read my book, and it was wonderful. And that definitely sparked a lot of joy because it was like a reminder of what holiday was like. (laughs) And it's nice having that four-day weekend, right? It's great because it means that for the next four weeks I'm going to have four-day weeks because I've got... Obviously had a four-day week just now, going to have one next week, and then I've taken another Friday off for another long weekend, so then we back straight onto Waitangi Day, so I've got another Friday off and then another Monday off. So no full weeks for next month, which is amazing. This is great. Look, I think you're, you've got it. You have figured out, just do a four-day week. This is the dream. Honestly, I think there needs to be a four-day week. We don't need yeah. to work as much as we do. Four-hour workday, four-day week. Yes, please. I honestly think nobody needs to have as many meetings as they're having, so... No, I definitely, there's a lot of messing around as well. Like if you knew you had four hours to get your work done, you could, there would be a lot less Mm. mucking around on my part. You know, I fill an eight hour day. I Mm. could probably do it in less given the choice. 
Um, what about you? Did anything spark joy for you? I read an amazing book this week. Uh, it's a romance <laughs> novel called Weather Girl by Rachel and Solomon. And she has become an always read for me since I read The X Talk. I think that was the first of her books I read. I might have also read one of her YA books, which was really good. But Weather Girl, it was so great. And the hero was a plus size guy. And I know I ranted about this to you already, but I just <laughs> feel like everybody should read this book because he didn't have to get that annoying 12 pack of abs and the V cut to be hot. He was already hot and he was so kind and he was such a nice person and like even though at one point you know when they have the big conflict she's kind of awful and he he doesn't say the right thing he later when they do talk later he says look I just want to say I'm not angry with you and I understand why you took my words wrong and I get that and it was like ah who is this man clone him make him real everybody deserves a rustle in their life because he is just lovely and it was a really cute story and she was also obsessed with rain and weather so I really liked her but yeah it just made me so happy and I kept thinking about it like a little bit would pop into my head and be like oh right that book was so good so it stuck with me all week I love that I love book joy it's a pure thing you know when you finish a book and you just like hold it to you because you're just so happy with it Mm -hmm. and then you try to explain it to other people and you can't be coherent and it's great love that and like it's so rare that you get book joy that's just the happy kind and not the oh Mm. my feelings because we usually have have the feelings yes we need to read other books <laughs> it's nice to have the just pure happiness ones from time to time mm. oh, lovely it's really good well should we talk about our one shot oh yes so um this <laughs> week we watched mad max fury road uh so it's a film directed by george miller it stars Charlize theron our queen and mm-hmm. tom hardy um edited by margaret sixel george's wife and she is amazing um and there's costumes by gene Be- bevan and scored by tom holkenborg who also goes by junkie xl which is just annoying but that's fine you do you boo <laughs> um so we chose the themes of perseverance and glory to watch this through Mm. Um, Did you want to just give a quick summary of the film? Set in a post-apocalyptic desert wasteland where gasoline and water are scarce commodities, Fury Road follows Max Rokotensky, who joins forces with Imperator Furiosa to flee from cult leader Immortan Joe and his army of Half-Life 4 boys in an armored tanker truck leading to a lengthy road battle. And I believe that summary has almost the exact same amount of words in it that the entire dialogue of the script (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was a very dialogue light movie. I was reading up about it and I think there were 3,500 storyboards mm. for it. Five different artists worked on storyboarding it alone. And Zoe Kravitz says that it's one of the weirdest scripts she's ever read because it just felt like reading a graphic novel rather than a script. That would be kind of cool though because then you would know what you're meant to be doing. Because I've read some scripts and I'm always like, how do they get acting from that well I've done quite a lot of reading about this film just because I really love it and Mm -hmm. I think it's incredible what they've managed to accomplish and it just sounds like it was the toughest acting job anyone's ever had like no one knew what was going to happen they didn't understand how it was going to come together because so much of it was practical stunts they were in the middle of the desert all the time and just Mm -hmm. like in the elements it's just a rough ride yeah it was freezing cold or boiling hot and not really in between and you can see Mm. it like in the scene where the wives are washing off after the dust storm like they're getting all the dust off they like they're covered in goosebumps and they're trying not to shiver and I'm just like Mm. these poor girls having to act like it's a million degrees outside when it's like freezing I did like that you know I'm I'm not big on method acting and all that stuff but the physical effects guy was like it really adds to the acting because they have this physical element if we shot it against a green screen you wouldn't get that same depth of emotion and I think that is so important with this film because we rely so much on their emotions on their faces on 
on their body language because there is so little dialogue. So if you didn't have that kind of visceral feeling from them, it wouldn't really work. Yeah, so much of the story is told through action and environment and yeah, the practical effects. Like I didn't really write too much about them in the notes for me, but I think we should mention that it's like 90% practical effects, right? Mm. Like all the explosions and crashes are real. Mm -hmm. The CGI they did was removing Charlize Theron's actual arm. They put Mm. a green cast on her so that they could have her prosthetic, not show her arm underneath it. And uh, they boosted the color. Yeah. They basically just pushed that slider all the way up and made everything like look as red and outback Australia as they could, I think was the point. Like they wanted it to be the opposite of every other grim, dark, post-apocalyptic movie. One of my favorite scenes in this film is when they go into the sandstorm one that shot of the sandstorm ahead of them is just incredible but when they drive oh. into it and you know you've got those flashes of red yeah I, don't know, I find it so visceral and also because I don't know if you remember I think it was 2010 we had that sandstorm in Sydney yeah yeah and yeah. it was so red when you it opened the like curtain it was like the apocalypse yes yeah. it was and like, wild <laughs> That's what I remember when I see that film I'm like oh yeah that's right it does look like that mm-hmm. great times The end times were nigh. So beautifully shot, though. Every single shot counts in this film. I think I watched it four times this week, just over and over. The last watch I did this morning while making Peach Cobbler, and I watched the black and chrome version because I hadn't Mm. watched it before. That was interesting, too, to see how the values change when it's in black and white. Mm. It's just an amazing feat for an action film. Like, it's so good at conveying a message and subtlety Mm. in what is essentially just an hour-long, two-hour-long car chase, right? And the film has such incredible moments momentum because it's literally moving the whole time it never stops there are a couple quiet moments but they're very short-lived and I think it winds up with like a 20 minute chase scene at the end that's a huge amount of time to be in a chase scene it's a lot of time I just love it as well because you've got them barreling through so it's chasing getting out and then it's like literally stop and go back so it's just like a rewind I just so clever when I was watching it the first time I was completely floored by the idea that they would go back And every time I see it, I'm like, oh, it's obvious that they'll have to go back. But the first time it completely shook me that Mm. they went back. Like, I did not expect that at all. It was like, there will be a green place. But they left it. Mm. Like, that is now the green place. It's just what you make of it, which I thought was fantastic. Like, what a way to tell a story. Can we just say, like, yes, George Miller knows what he's doing. Like, he can keep making movies. Do you know he's a doctor? Is he? For the first Mad Max, he worked as an emergency room doctor to kind of make up the budget shortfall so he could make that film because it was, like, his passion project. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I know his wife is South African. Always good. Yeah, (laughs) representation. That's why she's so good at her job. And she won an Oscar for it. That's another thing. Like, this is an action film that was nominated for a Best Picture Oscar. Like, I think that's actually incredible. I think it should have gotten the Oscar. I don't know who won that year, but... The Revenant, I think, was it? I don't even remember what that movie could be about. I don't care. Got Leo in it. No, I agree. It's like, what film are you going to remember in 20 years' time? This one, not the other one. Pretty much, That's the bar for a good film, you know? Yeah, it should provoke something in you. It should make you feel something. It should make you think something. I have never in my life heard anybody say that their favorite film was The Revenant. Like, if it is your favorite film, email us and tell us about it. I would love to hear why. But like, I've never heard anybody say that. But this is in my top five. And it's in a lot of people's top fives because it is such a good movie. Mm. Truly. (sighs) 
All right. So we should, should we talk about the themes? I want to hear how you did because you you chose perseverance and I chose glory. Yeah. So I was thinking of perseverance if you know think of it as doing something despite it being mm. really difficult or there's going to be a massive delay in you succeeding. So you really have to work at it. The very act of being alive in this post-apocalyptic world is an act of perseverance, right? It's so inhospitable. Everything is hard. And even when you have it good, like the many mothers had the, the green place, but it's not permanent because the soil turned toxic and the water turned sour and everything, you yeah. know, stopped growing. So they had to lose that. So everyone is just doing their level best to survive, but that's it. You're just like persevering for the sake of surviving. There's no living. There's no end to that. You just have to keep grinding. And that is yeah. so tough. It's so hard. And the way that people hold on to the hope is so different for all of them, right? Mm. So I think the war boys, they're so fixated on their afterlife. They want that Valhalla. They're keen for that because they just have nothing in this life, right? But mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're good enough battle fodder, then you're awaited in Valhalla. Yeah. And Joe wants an heir. Like he's a, he's a proper dictator and he wants a male heir. He's doing what kings and dictators and fascists from time and memoriam have done. Like they want that male heir. And Furiosa is holding on to this idea of the green place. And she's given this as like the hope for the wives, you know. Mm. This is their hope as well now. She shared it with them and they know about it. They also want to go to the green place with many mothers. Yeah. They all have something. I think Max is really interesting in this perseverance space because he never stops fighting to stay alive. Like he even says it in his monologue, right? I exist in the wasteland. A man reduced to a single instinct survive. Mm -hmm. And he's haunted and tormented. And yet he just keeps, like he keeps fighting. He keeps persevering. Even when he doesn't know what he's doing, like he's fleeing in the tunnels, right? Like that's even a chase scene right off from the get go. And it's just a foot chase. but I think he's just so focused on himself as an individual as well. He just acts like a wild animal. He's just yeah. skittish and reactive. And then when he first meets Furiosa, right, like she's kind of dealing with him like you deal with a wild animal. Like he, you know, he's literally muzzled. Yeah. And she sort of she's talks trying to him, put down. him down for her own safety and for the safety of the wives. Yeah. Yeah. And then you kind of see that switch from when survival becomes less about the individual action and it becomes an act of community, how they all sort of strive and work together to get something mm-hmm. done. And for, for Max, it's like, like, you know, he wants to get the muzzle off. So that's why he allows it. But it becomes bigger. And I think when you really see it is when he gives the gun to Furiosa because she's the better shot and there's one bullet left in the gun and she uses him as a tripod. She doesn't take it. She doesn't ask no, for yeah. it. She's very anxious about it. She's standing behind him and he notes it and he's like, you know what? She'll do the job. Yeah. And then, yeah, he's there to support her. And then I love that he brings Nux's shoe from his little like <laughs> scavenging session. Yeah, I love so that. Funny. And he, like, I think that's just the real sense of him thinking beyond himself. But also when he comes up with a plan to go back to the Citadel. And also then he gives Furiosa his blood willingly, which is yeah. a direct counter to it being taken from him in the first instance. And then yeah. he gives her his name too, right? Like, so he needs her to live. Is that her and then last he just line of dialogue? Away. I never got your name. Is that what she says? The last thing she says in the movie is, I never got your name. Oh, I can never hear that bit. That's what she says. She says, your name. I never got your name. And that's why he says, Max, my name is Max. Ah. And then he just keeps persevering, you know, he walks away at the end. I also just love, like, he has so little dialogue. I think it's, what, 68 lines, (laughs) if even that? If you count the grunting, I think it's 68 lines. I think spoken, he's got, like, 50. (laughs) But then he's got that line when they're just in the chase and he's been tied to the front of the car and he's like, how much more can they take from me? They got my blood and now it's my car. And I kind (laughs) of just love that. He's so fixated on his possessions, right? Like my car, my jacket. Yeah. Because it's about the individual. And then it just changes for him when you see this. Yeah. And in the greater the greatest space. Well, if it's not his, he's willing to give it away, right? Mm. He'll go and get all of the ammo from the bullet farmer. That's fine. It's not his. He'll give one of their boots to Nux. Cool. 
Doug's dad has two boots. It's all right. It just, it cracks me up that the things that are his, because they're so hard fought, they're his. Mm. The jacket is his. He wants it back. Um, Yeah, his blood. He wants to keep that, obviously. He's being held. Like, he is just as much a prisoner in the Citadel as the wives are, but for a different reason. He's supporting mm-hmm. all these Half-Life war boys. I don't yeah. really know. How long do you think he was in there? Do you think it was days? I don't days? think it was very long. Yeah, I don't think it was, like, months or whatever. Okay. It feels quite quick, but. Okay. Yeah, I just didn't know. I mean, I, it looked like he got a haircut, was caught again, and then all of a sudden, you know. Okay off because it goes directly from him to Furios on the back of her neck yeah that's where we see her for the first time and I mean yeah she also perseveres right she perseveres getting to this point where she can escape and take these women with her she perseveres with the mission despite it going extremely wrong basically right from the get-go um and despite lots of pain and death I forgot what a massive body count this has yeah yeah I always think that Angharad specifically dies much later Mm. but she barely makes it through the rock Mm. And then, yeah, we've got Valkyrie dying and like so many of the women die and it's just... Yes, most of the Vuvulini die. I think that Mm. only three are left, two or three are left to end up driving. Yeah. We lose the Keeper of the Seeds. I have to say for the women that they they cast in these roles, all of them wanted to do their own stunts. And I love that. Like they were like, yes. (laughs) And especially um, the woman who played the Keeper of the Seeds. She was 78 at the time of filming. And she's like, I always get cast in nursing home roles. Absolutely. I'm going to be a tough lady on a motorbike. I want to do this. Give me all of the stunts. Like, she was really excited to do this film. And every interview with her, she's like, this was the best. I love it. So I just love that these, like, great little ladies of Australian film have gotten to kind of do this really big bombastic role. Also just, it's just cool to see older women in roles like that. Like, you know, as she said, she gets cast as the nursing home thing and it's so rare to see older women do cool things and it's, yeah, it's amazing. It's just lovely to see. Should, we need more of that. Women yeah, don't like, stop existing when they turn 40, you know. Oh my gosh, for real. And it's nice to see them like looking like people and not having yeah. the airbrushed to blurry vagueness faces of a lot of makeup on older women you know they just like pancake it on so that you don't see that they have like heaven forbid actual laugh lines it's okay to look your age i promise every wrinkle i get i'm like hey i made it to this wrinkle i found a gray hair the other day it was really exciting (laughs) my first one oh wow good effort i can barely tell right because i dyed my hair blue but i had just enough hair to be like that's actually a gray one so it's happening (laughs) um Another act of perseverance, I think, for Furiosa is just, like, the agony she experiences when she finds out the green pace isn't a thing anymore, right? Oh, yeah. They're like, you passed it a mile back or wherever it is. And she is devastated. And you've got that great scene of her, like, on her knees in the, in the dunes, which is, you know, your cliche no moment, but it's not a cliche at all. It's just really emotive. And then she just gets back up. Yeah, she has to go out, deal with it. Once she screams it out, she's back to planning for the future. Even in that scene where the rig gets stuck in the mud, I was so struck by the fact that she, like, puts her shoulder into it and she tries to push this yes. massive war like war rig right like it's not gonna make a difference but she has to try because she has to persevere right and she counts the days yeah every day except the ones she doesn't remember that's a lot seven thousand days is almost 20 years yeah i love that in every act like every time we see the women they're not passive they're not just going oh what's happening mm. the wives especially like they don't fight but they get in there so at the very beginning when max and furious are fighting because he's trying to take the rig they're pulling at his chain and muzzle trying mm-hmm. to get him away from her every time there's something that needs doing they they pop up and do it yeah i think they ultimately persevere as well you know they've had this truly horrific life that they've been you know treated as possessions and they're determined like determined to get away and i think there is a moment of faltering in their grief and the the, the, the hopelessness and despair sets in but they have such tenacity and they just try to help 
when they can, how they yeah. can. Like, you know, they pitch in. They each have their own unique skills that they can contribute. Yeah. And I think they also just have such empathy. Like, Splendid is in particular, right? She says, no, we shouldn't have a higher body count. You know, we had an agreement. No unnecessary kills. Yeah. Um, and they're a- able to empathize, I think, with Nux because they know he's not making his own choices, but they still acknowledge a need for accountability, right? You yeah. know, she calls him an old man's battle fodder, killing everyone and everything. And he says, we're not to blame. And then she's, she goes, who killed the world? And it's like, someone has to be responsible. Human yeah. beings are clearly responsible for this wasteland. Absolutely. Mm. If you look at the circumstances of the geography, like they can't have gone very far, right? Where the bullet farmer is, where Gastown is, they're probably, what, fracking to get mm. those resources out of the soil, which is what would turn the soil bad and would turn the water poisonous. Like, we already know that fracking is really bad for the environment. Sorry, oil company apologists, but it's true. Mm. It just destroys the earth. But they're getting all of these resources because they have a lot of, as they call it, guzzoline, and they have a lot of bullets. Like, this is not something that they are missing. So they're definitely getting these resources out of the earth still, but at the cost yeah. of people like the many mothers not being able to actually farm a patch and have a community. Yeah. But you know, the idea that they have a lot of guzzoline, I just think this is the most wasteful chase. Like, Morton <laughs> Jones has just straight up lost his mind. He is persevering mm-hmm. with this absolute insane chase, despite the fact that it's costing so much. It's costing resource of every kind. You know, the assets of the cars, his war boys, the straight up the fuel, the bullets. Like, this is so immensely wasteful. Mm. But he's so committed to his idea of him as like, you know, this father figure and this fearless leader. He can't stop. And it's so gross. And I'm glad he's dead. Yeah. And he is the last to die. So it's very fitting. He also, Mm. I believe, like, I I haven't read the comics, but I did read a bit about them because I wanted more context. Um, He kind of rose the other two up. So like the bullet farmer and the people leader were they are his basically like not equals but they're a step below Mm. they have their own towns they're like governors but he's like the prime minister of that area i guess would would be what i would say yeah so that's why they acquiesce and that's why they come to to aid him Mm. because that's just the rules you do that otherwise you don't get the produce and if you don't have food and you don't have milk then yeah it doesn't matter how many bullets or how much oil you have yeah yeah, so they'd kind of have to toe the line with him. But they're both horrible, disgusting individuals, too. So Yeah, I mean, no redeeming factors there. The people eater is literally called the people eater. It just doesn't make sense. Like, economically, this doesn't make sense. This whole thing that he's doing. I don't think it weighs up, but sure. Him sinking so much money and resource into this chase doesn't really stack up. It's just prides on the line, right? Yeah, I think he gets in deep and then he just can't let it go it's too big a wounding it's too big of a wound to his pride isn't it Hmm. he can't be seen to have let furiosa walk away with five of his prize breeders so to speak and he won't hurt them right like he crashes his own car trying to swerve yeah the other i guess perseverance i saw was obviously the vuvalini right like they have persevered despite their home turning toxic and driving them out they persevere in this fight that is actually very much beyond their firepower but they've committed to it um and they just never stop fighting they're amazing i love them and the keeper of the seeds. She perseveres, keeps planting even though nothing takes, but she keeps trying. She has all of the seeds. I love the way that that was a conversation about, I think that in some ways, 
the dag had this idea that the many mothers would be better or pure or above all of it. So she said, I thought you girls were above all that because the keeper of the seeds has said, yeah, I snap everybody I meet out here right in the medulla. Like she's, she's got no bones about it. They are bandits. They take food from travelers to survive. Like, yes, the Valkyrie was bait. That's why she was up there mm. to stop people who would try and rescue her, or take advantage of her and then whoosh, in swoop these women. But then the keeper of the seeds says, but look what I'm doing. This is my hope project. This is how mm. I'm trying to make it work again. She also wants to go to the green place of many mothers. She doesn't know where it is, but she's carrying it around with her in this doctor bag, mm. trying to make it happen wherever she goes. And the symbolism of it being in the doctor bag, right? Like yeah. the idea that you can heal the planet. So lovely. I think it was <sighs> one of my favorite parallels was that all of the Vuvulini and all of the wives had like a, a match, you know, like Toast really loved the girl with the bullet bandoliers. Mm. And Toast was the one who was the most willing to take the guns and learn the guns, even though Angharad, for example, was like, I can't, I can't load a gun. I can't hurt anybody. We're not doing any unnecessary killing. She's a pacifist. But Toast was like, no, if this is what we need to do, this is what we need to do. Mm. And um, Furiosa had Valkyrie, who knew her by name said her name before she could say it herself. Mm. I had forgotten that or I had not caught that the first couple times I watched this movie that she says who she is but she doesn't actually say her name and then Valkyrie mm. says no, this is our Furiosa. Yeah. So she had that name when she went to the Citadel like that name came with her. Which I'm glad she got to keep something, you know. The only other thing I want to talk about persevering is with the war boys and Nux, right? Yes. So I think they're so interesting because they will push themselves basically to the brink of death because they have this promise of a second life in Valhalla, right? Like so it's so easy to sac sacrifice yourself if you think you're getting a second life, you know? Yeah, And absolutely. they persevere. Like, they get new blood. They spike themselves up. They basically, like, you know, hype themselves. And then they go off and do all these things for this one final moment of glory, which you can talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, Nux is so dedicated to this cause. And then when he feels he's failed, because, like, you know that moment when Immortan Joe says to him, he's mediocre and it just breaks his little heart. Yeah. And then he has this moment of kindness with Capable and he's like, yep, I have a new cause now. Because he doesn't know anything else. He just has to have a cause. He has to like exactly. throw himself wholly into something, right? I saw that too. If he gets the littlest bit of positive reinforcement, he's there. Mm. It just goes to show you how easy it is to turn people around. I love that he's just so intense. He wants to believe in something. He wants to matter and he wants something he does to matter. Yeah, he doesn't want to die for no reason, right? He's also smart, right? Like he's able to solve the problems of the war rig. He's able to figure out that if they winch it to that thing over there, the tree, <laughs> that they can get it up the hill. There's high ground just beyond it. Like he's able to figure out these problems. He's able to disable the war rig without it in the beginning when he's still on the other side he's able to disable the war rig without destroying it or hurting anyone mm. which is another important thing like he's quite skilled i think he likes to solve problems yeah and at the very end he solves the biggest problem of all which is i can't go with you but i still have this job to do where i where i need to stop the pass i need to stop the rest of the war parties getting through and that's mm. that's how he decides to die historic on the fury road so yeah on that note do you want to talk about glory <laughs> yes boy i could talk about it forever um so I honestly thought that this would be really hard because I thought, oh, I'm going to be stuck talking about the war boys the whole time. But I looked at the casting list and immediately the first thing that I saw was that there is a character called Glory in this mm. movie. So the little image of the girl that pops up, mm -hmm. Banquo-like, every time Max needs to be guided or led or shocked into a different course of action is called Glory the Child. And mm. the relationship between him and Glory is never made clear. We just know that he left 
this child behind at some point and this child and other people died but the child is the one who pops up the most my theory about this is that this kid is guiding max to be exactly where he needs to be every time so Mm. the hallucination pops up and he saves himself from getting a spear to the head right because it goes through Mm. his hand and he puts his hand up to protect himself from the vision the whole time he's trying to escape the citadel it's not actually his time to leave yet which is why the kid keeps popping up yelling at him like hey what did you do you left us don't leave us the things that Mm. he needs to protect are in the citadel right now he just doesn't know Mm. that yet like all of these things have to happen so my theory is that glory literally guides and saves max at every step and she's actually called glory yeah and she's the one she pops up when he watches them drive away on the motorcycles right he pops she pops up and that's what compels him to go after them and he'll be like this will be your end or whatever that's his redemption right like she's guiding him to his redemption he couldn't have found that if he hadn't found furiosa and if he hadn't decided to help the women however he was coaxed into deciding like he wasn't as tractable as who just needed one kind gesture to well one deep humiliation a kind gesture he had to come to it slowly but the second he decided he did he did decide which i think was as soon as his muzzle came off he was like yes let's do this it's the representation of him being less animalistic right he's relying less on those pure survival instincts yeah yeah for sure there's an interesting parallel there with the war boys they're not called war boys when they're little they're called war boys when they're fully grown men they're war pups when they're kids, mm. when they're children. So they don't even have personhood until they're able to be battle fodder, which I thought was really interesting. But even then, they don't have a life, right? Like, what do they do? They just go out on these raids and things. Like, mm. you know, and that's why I think Nux is more easily swayed because he doesn't know what real human interaction really looks like, whereas Max have ha- has had a life. Like, he's had, yeah, he had experiences. Yeah, he had a life before. Yeah. He had that love and, like, that tenderness and the community and connection, which is why it's a greater loss for him. Um, mm. There's a lot of glory in the war boys themselves. Like, their life is so terrible that the only glory that they can really expect from it is to be good at war. Mm. And that's why in the beginning, Nux is so willing to like, we'll take we'll take the blood bag. We'll take the blood bag and I will drive. You Like, you can't drive. You're my Lancer. And I want to get back to Slit the Lancer at some point because he's a really important character because he's seeking glory but never attaining it. But he sees glory through the cult, but he doesn't actually ever achieve it. He thinks he does, but he never does. Mm. It's fantastic. It's so good. Um, One of the things I think is really important is the way that they treat witnessing. Mm when they're about to do something that will call them to glory there is that cry of witness me yeah and if you have any church background at all you'll know that witnessing or testimony is a big part of a lot of modern evangelical congregations where you like witness to people who aren't christian and your testimony is when you like talk about your own connections with christ and glory seems to be a really religious thing as well now it's Mm. inarguable that a morton joe has created a religion around Mm -hmm. himself as a cult-like figure as a god-like figure but I just think the witness to me is really important because that converts more people into being like that. They see, especially with Morsov, right? Morsov is the example of somebody who is like dying and they're going to die yeah. historic on the Fury Road, as Nux puts it, and literally takes out one of the buzzards with two of those thunder sticks, even though he's like got all these spikes sticking out of him from where he was just shot with darts or whatever. Like it's amazing mm. cinematography. And everyone around him shouts witness, except for Slit who goes mediocre because Slit can't yeah. let anybody have any nice things. Yeah. I find the religious element quite fascinating because it's like, I think this would genuinely happen in a post-apocalyptic society because you don't, you lose so much, right? But there are mm-hmm. these pockets of things that endure and that turn into these things. Like the fact that Valhalla has endured into this post-apocalyptic yeah. wasteland. Or when Nux says he's McFeasting in the halls of Valhalla. You know, I like love it. These cultural moments that carry on and then turn into this one big conglomerate religious 
thing because yeah. there is no other meaning, right? That's just meaning making happening. Yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit about the slang as well, but I feel like I'll get off track. Specifically, I want to talk about the dag and the dufourier because those are very Australian things. Um, the wives also have been told this sort of fable about their lives, that they are more glorious, that they have more glory because they're for a purpose. So their purpose is to give a viable heir. Like, that's not great, but I think that they have been sold this life of you're living the high life, you have it so good. And you see that with Cheeto, Cheeto the mm. fragile. She's the youngest and the most protected. So canonically, the dag has like personally put her body in front of Cheeto to protect Cheeto, who's still a teenager, from Immortan Joe. So you have the dag who will goad this man into assaulting her instead mm. to protect this child, which is why she's the one who's like, I'll go back. It's fine. He was just trying to give us the high life because she hasn't fully experienced the horrors of being a wife yet. Yeah. Not having known that, I always kind of felt like, what's she doing? But now that I know that, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. They have actually been protecting her, keeping her as innocent as possible for as long as possible because it's a terrible world and they just don't want this child to have any less of a childhood. Mm. So I found a few definitions of glory. One of the obsolete ones that really stuck out to me is a representation of the heavens opening and revealing celestial beings. And is that not exactly what happens when Max like comes around the corner of the war rig and sees all of the wives there? Yeah. This group of women will save him. They will be his redemption. He just doesn't know it. So that's a full moment of glory. Mm. There's another definition, which is exalted. And in modern use, we, we say that is like a deserved praise, honor, or admiration accorded by common consent to a person or a thing, honorable fame, or renown. And I think this would go to Angharad because she is so wonderful and she is their leader and she is their caretaker. Like she is the head of their five-headed hydra, so to speak. Mm. She is the lead. She is the one who keeps saying, we are going to the green place of many mothers. Her words resonate even when she's not there to speak them. So she is actually honorable and praised and praiseworthy. So she's glory personified. And then we have the glory that is self-described and that's what Immortan Joe has. So a state of exaltation and splendor in one's glory, one's highest state of magnificence or prosperity. Also colloquial in a state of unbounded gratification or enjoyment and I would say that that's a Morton Joe like he has created mm. a godlike state where he is the head he is in control of everything because he has all of the only water yeah he wears all of his old army badges to signify his magnificence he has he has a plastic suit of armor that has airbrushed muscles on it but he's actually very sick he needs mm. a respirator to live he has blood red teeth he wears a mask with horse teeth over it yeah which is grotesque enough but like the first time we actually see him he's being tended to by this like courtly array of people you know he's got a sons around him he's got this small child blowing stuff onto him it's wild so he has this like glorious existence but yeah he's really sick he's not really actually able to enjoy it no they're all kind of sick right like even Rictus needs breathing things and, and... he's very simple yeah he's not too oh, bright. <laughs> I know what does Nux say about Immortan Joe? He's got that whole myth, right? Like he's the one who harnessed the sun or whatever it is. It's like Yes, no, I am the one who harnessed the sun. There's a lot of men in this who just have really grandiose speech moments, like Yeah. Big proclamations like I am justice. No, you're not, buddy. <laughs> Sit down. Be quiet. The bullet farmer. That guy's the yeah. worst. Just probing. I love how Australian this is. I love how the villains I know. are. I all- know so Australian. It's brilliant. Yeah. Okay, so the guy who plays Immortan Joe was the toe cutter in another Mad Max, which I haven't seen the any of the other one, ones. The first one, yeah. But I love that there's that repeat, like, we'll just get that guy back in. Also, he's terrifying, so. Did you know that the original Mad Max was dubbed in the States? Because once I was watching it, and I could not figure out why it felt so horrifically wrong, and then I realized they had dubbed an American, like, they had dubbed it into American, basically. What? Why would you? Yeah. 
it was very bizarre for me because it was a real moment like uncanny valley moment where I was like there's something seriously wrong with this film and I cannot figure out what it is and then yeah because it is Australian and I forget that like I forget when I watched this I'm like oh yeah it's actually everyone's got Australian you've got what's his name Angus from Secret Life of Us or whatever it was Samson that's the one yeah the organic mechanic the doctor yeah so he's like Australian as got lots of very Australian accents Australian slang as well you know when she talks about fanging it and obviously doof as you saying the doof warrior okay so that, that we should explain this for anybody who's not australian doof 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 that's the sound <laughs> that club music makes which is why doof, it's doof called music. doof doof music yes <laughs> and this was explained to me by no less than the audio engineer at the opera house who is a friend of my husband's from school so thank you rich for telling me about doof doof i now know about doof doof <laughs> i love it so much and the dag dag is another australian slang term as well and like to be daggy means to be like really unfashionable and i'm maintain that the patron saint of dags is Kel from Kath and Kim so oh yeah that might be my hill to die on he's the ultimate dag that's fair I just think even though it's you know it was shot in Namibia it does feel very Australian still like they did a good job with that oh it super does it really does and everybody keeping their accents was nice too so Abby Lee is definitely Australian I think she's the only wife who is is that right? Yeah, I think no, there are Cheeto two... is Cheeto's Australian as well. And then two Americans and an English. Yeah. Rosie Huntington Whiteley, I think, played yeah. hard and she's English. Mm-hmm. Riley Q is American and the granddaughter of Elvis Presley, just FYI. She met her husband on this film. Yes, he was a stuntman, wasn't he? Yeah. And did you know that the stunt people who were Charlize Theron and Tom Hardy's stunt doubles, they fell in love and got married? Cute. It's the best. I love love. I guess you can't go through this kind of traumatic nine month filming in a desert situation without, you know, forming some deep bonds. Or wanting to kill each other, as a lot of people on the set talked about. Like, Tom Hardy did not have a great time, and later he apologized for it, but he was not easy to work with. But I think that kind of works for his character. Because they started filming this, originally they were going to start in 2010, and then it got put off for a year, and then they filmed in 2011, and then they brought a bunch of them back to film the start and the the bookends, the start Mm. and the end, I think, at the end of 2011, or 2012 maybe even. So there was like, yeah, 2012. So over two years. project, yeah. And Tom Hardy's career, I think, only really took off in 2010 when he did Inception, right? So he was quite young when he started doing this like in his career career wise he was a very kind of immature actor so this is quite intense although a lot of them have never acted like the wives right for a lot of them yeah this was their first ever acting moment i did watch the little feature out of the wives how they 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 talked about how hard it was but they basically ended up rooming together for a month or two beforehand so they could actually get as close as they needed to be which was good because so much of the body language as you said in the beginning was about how they interact and all of their acting had to be so real they had to really grind like come from that place of really being close and really caring about each other and really being being willing to protect each other i also really loved how they started off all in these white dresses you know and when we see them they're in this kind of like the first time we see all of them out is when max sees them around the 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 tanker and they've got the water and they look kind of angelic right and it's all pure and whatever and by the end when they get back to the the citadel they're so grimy and they're not white anymore like the clothes aren't white it's all torn and dirty and I just I kind of love that I love that symbolism they've been out in the world now and they've seen it and they're just as dirty as everyone else I think that the material of their outfits is the same thing as Furiosa's shirt but hers is just like worn in and Mm. stained I just love the costuming so much and the costumes of the wives all reflect their characters like so well like they all look very similarly dressed but like the dag is slightly more revealing she wants to be more alluring so that they can protect cheeto who's slightly more innocent you know 
Angharids dressed in this way that like emphasizes her pregnant stomach but still leaves her shoulders bare and like capables in something that like has that bandolier like toasts she's got sleeves she looks different because she sets herself apart from the wives she's not really part of them she doesn't have a, a natural bestie like capable and Angharid are a unit and the dag and Cheeto are a unit it's just like all of the all of the little touches on this film make it so incredible yeah I don't know if you saw that quote from Jenny Bevan when she was talking about costume design and she said you know I'm not really into fashion I don't care what people look like the clothes have to come out of the stories they tell mm-hmm so I love that idea that the clothes are very much they're just they're part of the story they tell the story and I just I love that yeah I do too she mostly does period stuff right so she the other Oscar she got for costuming was Room with the View oh right yeah 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 and she also did the costumes more recently for the Cruella movie mm. which I think was which was great yeah I right. was gonna say didn't you really enjoy that one like you I did it's so good so, I mean, she's an amazing, she's an amazing craftsperson. And to have everything looking so grimy, but be so functional, but also to have these fantastic moments of beauty with everyone's outfits, because they do care about what they look like. Like, I might wear jeans and a t-shirt, but I will choose the t-shirt that's more comfortable and has the prettier design, even mm. though it's basically the same as all my other boring ones, right? Like, we do care what <laughs> we look like, even when we're going for comfort or utility. There's so much about this film that I I could just rabbit on about it forever honestly the way that they seek glory and the way that they actually end up attaining glory are so different right so like mm. no one wants to have to do the things they have to do to survive except maybe the war boys but even that they're marking time I feel like Enghard's probably the most glorious person in the whole story though and I'll talk yeah, about that she's... when we dive in a bit because I, I really want to point to that moment yeah she's sort of martyred off isn't she yeah and I think it's really a testament to her magnificence that her death doesn't cause despair but it sort of galvanizes their hope right like it crystallizes their perseverance and even max at one mm. point when when furiosa who now has come to view him as her like compatriot really says what if the engines are cool and you're not back he says well you keep moving mm. like he knows what to do he's he's got as you said that perseverance yeah he doesn't even hesitate he's like well obviously you'll keep going yeah, if i'm not yeah. back i'm not back like to him it's the most obvious thing in the world and the kill that he performs then isn't a glorious one it's not a witness me thing you don't see it you don't witness it i know Oh, and I love that it's off screen. You have this massive boom and he comes back covered in blood and looking like hell and he's got all this stuff. And you just know this was this epic thing and it takes place entirely off screen. And it's so incredible. Good. He had to have killed them all, then taken their things, then blown them up so that when Immortan Joe comes upon it and he can't tell what's happened, like he had to have done it in that order. That's why he's covered in blood, right? Mm. Like it was full on assassin. He just does it and he's so efficient. And then we never see it. Like we have to infer all of this. But this is totally what's happened. Yeah. And but he's unfailingly practical. Like every time like he's dangling, Furiosa's got him by his foot and then Nux gives him a kick and he falls onto the next truck. He's like, Oh yeah. well, I guess I'm here. I I will just beat up some people. That was the people eater, right? When he Yeah. And he's like in the car with this guy and he's not even acknowledging him until he pulls a gun on him. He's like, Oh fine, I'll deal with you now. <laughs> I would definitely want him on my side in an apocalypse. He would just get stuff done. Like he will Absolutely. just get it done. I, I love that so much. Because he's like you said, relentless survivor. But now he has something to make me meaning from it and I think that's what he really mm. needed yeah I think when you just survive for so long and you're just surviving you forget why yeah you know like you're just surviving for the sake of it and that's not living like there's a difference between surviving and living right surviving and thriving yeah and if you're just surviving there's a point where you have to ask yourself why why do you keep fighting like Max why do you keep fighting what are you fighting for why do you want to be alive so badly what is the joy you're getting out of your existence right yeah glory can only take you so far and I think that's why it's interesting that it is a failed way of surviving right like they're not able to pursue 
persevere just for the sake of glory alone. It doesn't no. actually do what need what needs to be done. Like everybody who goes to seek glory inevitably meets their doom in some way. Also the idea that you can't just keep escaping and trying to get to the next best thing. You can't just go, I'm going to strive for that thing. Like I'm going to go to the green place. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just have to make do with what you have and like transform it, right? Like Absolutely. transform what you have and make it worthwhile instead of chasing something else. Yeah. Oh, did you want to talk about, I've got a shoe. What's his name? <laughs> Slit. Yes, 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 I do. I'll talk about Slit, who is so desperate to be lauded. He is so vainglorious. He is seeking glory so much that he won't let anyone else have it. Like, he is that guy who just negs all the time. Mm. So when Immortan Joe looks at Nux and Nux is like, oh, he looked right at me. And like, he does. He makes eye contact. Like, we see it. He's the like, audience no. sees it. He's like, he was scanning the horizon. Like, yeah, okay, you're tough. But then later, he's like, I've got the, the blood bag's boot. Like, no one cares. I know. And just the dead silence as well. Like, no one's engaging. He's like, take me. I've got his boot. No one cares, buddy. He's so bad at it. And then at the end, he's sort of squashed between two cars. He has a completely inglorious death. And he's still like, Valhalla. Like, mate, you're not going anywhere. You're just dead now. And you know what? No one witnessed him. Yeah, exactly. There was no witness right and there was no meaningful so this is how the war boys make meaning right they witness each other and his refusal to witness Morsov and by yelling mediocre I think was a huge indicator that no one would witness his death like he was so sufficient in himself he thought that he could do it but when it came down to it he failed the culture he didn't get the glory he wasn't he Mm. wasn't observed like there there was none of that witnessing that is so important to the culture of war boys but at the end when Nux makes his last stand he is witnessed by the person he connected with the most and she does the gesture of the Vuvulini where she reaches out and pulls him into her heart. Mm. So it's both of them acknowledging that like, yes, this is the end and I am witnessing you do this and I am pulling this into my heart, which is just, oh, mm. I have goosebumps, I have goosebumps. No, I love that. I love that real, you know, that even in times of extreme hardship and this really feral landscape, there's real human connection. Like there's still room for that. There's room for kindness. There's room for, yeah, just connecting with people. Yeah. I got to talk about the structure of the wives because we know that Splendid Angarad is the head wife. Like she's the oldest, the most responsible, and she's heavily pregnant. But her second is capable. Mm. And she's called capable because she is capable. And you see that when she says, I can do it, when she says yeah. she'll go out the back to keep guard. And also there's this great moment where Angarad recognizes that Furios is in a vulnerable position. Joe will shoot at her. So she puts her body between mm. Joe's gun and Furiosa because he knows she won't shoot her. And capable has her arm around Angharad. So they are always seen supporting each other. They're always seen backing each other up. And capable is the one who says, turn the rig around when Angharad slips and falls. She's the one who wants to go back. And it's so heartbreaking to me. But she still manages to connect with Nux outside of that grief that she has. That that she's lost her best friend, her partner, really. I also want to talk about Toast the Knowing, who is second most capable I think she's a really quick learner Mm. and she's very dry witted yeah which I love she just says the rude thing and I kind of love her for it honestly why like I feel like Zoe Kravitz has not had enough like I want to see her in everything she's amazing she's a fantastic actress have you seen High Fidelity? Because I highly recommend it. I have. I thought that was her mom, though. No. So the TV show. She's oh, in the, the TV show. She's in the TV show. Oh, I haven't she seen She plays Rob. Show. So they've made Rob a woman and it's Zoe. It's great. It's got a lot of, you know, they've kept a lot of the same dialogue and stuff from the, the film and the book, which both are some of my all-time faves. So it's really cool to see that reinvented and like reinterpret it into the show. And it's got a great soundtrack because it's High Fidelity. So yeah. But does recommend. it have Jack Black? No, sadly not. Dang it. Um, Also, I'd love to talk about the ace, who's Furios' number one. 
literally he's the the number one so he's the ace but she has so much authority he doesn't Mm. question her at all until the very end when they're about to go in the dust storm and then he's like oh hang on a second how come we're not slowing down what wait oh did you do something like it takes him forever to figure it out yeah i think it really speaks to the war boys as culture as well though like they just follow orders right they Mm. don't question they're not trained to do anything except follow orders so when furiosa's like we're going east he's like oh we must have gotten new orders new orders you know i'll send it down the line yeah just the culture and the connection and the communication between all of them is so interesting i really wish i could i like i want the not conlang but i want the military structure laid out for me like thunder up thunder up pass it down the line like i want to know where all of these things come from what the horn pulls mean like i i want to know mm, i love the stuff. flares as well you yeah. know the flares all have meanings they do i think it all exists because they basically they did a lot of background on all these characters and on the world right so th- that stuff probably all exists yeah look they need to he spent like a, a book a decade working on this film he thought about it so much that he was apparently according to everyone george miller was insufferable because he had such a clear vision of it and everyone was like what is this guy on about but he knew what he was doing and he knew what he wanted and he eventually got it but i think he made everybody crazy I also love that he said, you know, they basically did a whole script for Furiosa at the same time as this when they were developing her character. And then I'm like, yeah, you say script, but how many words is that really? 20, 30, maybe 40. They apparently have cast Anya Taylor-Joy as a young Furiosa. Yeah, he was going to de-age Charlize for it, but he's not comfortable with where the technology is, which is fair enough because it's creepy AF when they do that. Yeah, and look, I think I don't really want to hear about her past. It was awful. I want to know what she's doing now. I want to know how she's preventing herself from becoming a Morton Joe 2.0. I want to see that story. Mm. I don't want young wife failing a Morton Joe Furiosa. That's I'm not interested in that. I want to see how she's doing running the Citadel. I want to see her and the wives making decisions. And I want to see her having to like step back from that authority she's so used to buying into and being part of. Because the way that she gets this authority, especially over people like Ace and her crew, is that she's had to perform the same horrors that everyone else who's an Imperator has to perform, right? Mm. It would be real easy to fall back into that. Yeah. So that's where I think the interesting story is. And also, you know, defending the Citadel as well, because all those, they're going to come through that pass eventually, and Mm. what's going to happen then, right? Like, we're never going to get that, that's fine. I know, I know, that's what fan fiction is for. I think that's about it for me. Did you have any tangential marginalia? I think Max and Furiosa learning to trust each other is just one of my favorite things. Like that, so even from the very first look that they share when he's like, str- like trussed up on the front of this car and she's like glaring at him through the window, right? Like she's mm-hmm. just checking things out. I just love that. And then when they're fighting the raiders and they're coming over the bikes and there's just such fluidity in their movement, handing guns back and forth. It's like a dance. Like it's just yeah. this beautiful choreographed moment. And I just love that. Um, It really also struck me watching it this time, how it's very much kind of like a men versus woman thing. I don't yeah. really didn't really pick up on that but even when they turn up the Vuvulini's like who are these men and Furiosa says they're reliable they helped us to get here this idea that men are just intrinsically unreliable and that's the bar like they're reliable we can trust them you know like they're not gonna run off or whatever don't you love that that's like such a high bar (laughs) like the bar is literally on the ground at this point but it gets to that whole point of like women are more driven to be community led and to nurture and to like try and make I guess less warmongering right and that's the whole thing 
And I think in some ways this plays into our ideas about femininity without really confronting them, but also makes a case for like the traditional softer things having a place in a future. And strengthen that as well. Yeah. Like their strength, like that's what allows them to overcome is the fact that they do work together, that they do rely on these bonds. And it's not because they've beaten each other down and now you're following orders. It's because they genuinely care about each other, right? And I just, another thing I love about this film is that there's no betrayal once trust is given. Like yes. Nux could easily have flipped again and turned his back on these women and I feel like in other films that is what would have happened you know you would have had that switch back but that doesn't happen here there's no double cross moment everyone who has earned trust really rises to that and is worthy of that trust so you know it's that whole idea of like people will rise to the behavior expected of them Mm -hmm. right it ties into the redemption storyline which I just really love that's so beautiful and so true I'm just thinking of every time Capable took the time to really look at Nux there were so many of those long looks and I know how aggressively this film was cut it was like something like 2700 cuts for the whole film which is an insane amount but they really linger on those moments that Capable is making that eye contact with Nux and spending that time she is his humanization and it's not her job Mm. to be but she she does it because she's able to she's capable yeah I love that there's also just always that opening scene of Max standing on the dune right when Mm -hmm. we've got the voiceover happening it always reminds me of the video game Borderlands now I don't know if you've ever played Borderlands but it looks exactly like this it's just like (laughs) peak Borderlands I remember when the trailer for this film came out I was just like isn't this just the opening scene of Borderlands 2 I'm very confused (laughs) it just looks exactly the same and I cannot get over that but also want to shout out the sandstorm scene is like one of my all-time favorite scenes like I just love that image of the storm coming up and the rigs going into it I just think it's an incredible visual spectacle but it's also the only thing I could think of when I was watching Dune because there is a scene in Dune where they're going into a sandstorm and it looks exactly like that I'm like (laughs) how dare you steal this from Mad Max I had a few marginalia that I wanted to talk about. I love that we're going to the green place with many mothers was a repeated mantra. I love that so much. There are already many mothers among the wives. Well, more than one because Angharad is pregnant and so is the dag, which we find out when they actually meet the Vovolini and she says, hang on, Mm. little Joe, it's kind of lost this novelty. And the Keeper of the Seed says, oh, you're having a baby. And she said, oh, Warlord Jr. is going to be so ugly. (laughs) And the Keeper of the Seed is like, it could be a girl, which I loved. I also want to talk about... (laughs) Nux is so excited that they caught Furiosa, but really it was it was Max catching him. He's like, I'm going to ask to drive the war rig. What are you going to ask for? A blood bag? And he's like, he's give like me my, my jacket. jacket. <laughs> it's like, you can get he's more like, than you can a ask jacket. <laughs> I love that. I no idea. He's just excitable, right? But he's so excitable. He's a baby. He's like an infant. It just kills me. Um, and I also want to shout out to the fact that Furiosa is the disabled protagonist. It's not ever a thing. It's not a problem. She lives with it. It's something she's obviously adapted to. She fights around not having a left arm. She has a working prosthetic that she knows how to tend. There are so many people, especially the couple years after Fury Road came out, you saw all of the people going to like Comic-Con. People were like, yes, I can dress up as Furiosa. And so many did. And it was just really great. And I thought, yes, that's Mm -mm. representation that we needed. I just wanted to say that that's really lovely to see. And it was never like made into a, oh, poor baby kind of thing. It was just like, no, this is everybody has something to live with. And this is her thing to live with Mm. it's a part of her character but it's not the only thing about her yeah she's no less capable for having only one arm great thing to see honestly um did you have a deep focus moment that you wanted to like sort of hone in on yeah so for me it's that moment when they're driving into the canyon right Mm. and furiosa says that she's made a a deal with them they're going to drop the stones in exchange for the fuel pod and she says to max you know i need you here you have to drive the rig 
this is such a big moment of trust, right? Like she is going to pull this double cross on these raiders and she is relying to Max to help her pull it off. Mm. And then she gives him the sequence to start the truck, something that only she knows. That's literally the only thing that stopped him from abandoning them in the desert, not five minutes previously, yeah, basically. it's so quick. It happens so quick. Yeah. And then she has also tried to shoot her moments before. Like, the only reason he's not dead is because that gun wasn't working. The only reason Nux isn't dead is because that gun isn't working. And, like, that gun not working really saves them all, right? Because... Mm. Both Max and Nux do their bit to really turn around this whole situation. And I think it just, yeah, you don't be so quick to kill people. It's like the whole Gollum thing all over again. Like everyone has their part to play. Don't just straight up kill someone right off the go. Teamwork makes the dream work, baby. Yeah. And like Max never questions that. He's just like, yeah, all right, I'll drive the rig. Like, yep, call me fool and we'll do the thing. Like he doesn't stop and question her or try to figure out what she's doing. He's just like, yeah, sure, I'll do this thing. Yeah. Even though they were enemies, you know, five minutes previously. And I just, I love that. And it needs must moment, right? Like this is the hand we've been dealt. We are trying to achieve the same thing. Therefore we'll work together. And I just, I love that for them. Enemies to teammates speed run. I love it. As a speed run, definitely. (laughs) Um, How about you? Do you have a deep focus moment? I already talked about how the wives are always helping like they're never standing still and I talked about how Angara had used herself as a shield so I'm going to focus in on the way that Furiosa softens into a completely different person when she's finally found the Vivalini mm. so she comes out she remembers something about this bait trap right like she remembers it enough to know what to say so she goes out and she says i am one of you this was my initiate mother i am the daughter of this woman this is my clan and then she waits and they come to her and they know her by name even before she said her name and you can see when they ask her you know how long has it been she knows how long it has been and she responds seven thousand days plus the ones they don't remember and they ask after her mother and she says she died on the third day and they do this gesture of grief which is they reach out and they pull Mm -hmm. something from the air close to their heart right and she does that and you can see that nobody has done this for her mother she has not done this for her mother but it, it, it needed to be done and it's now been done in community and there's something about the way that she's been waiting for two decades to be able to share this grief that just gets me every time and then she has to realize that this is not the beginning of a new phase but it is the full and complete death of her old life because there is no green place and that just Mm. breaks her she has to really rebuild it takes her a whole day to kind of figure herself out after that but she has to like go in the desert and yell at the sky for a bit and girl i get it i've been there yeah it's because you know you think you're at the end of the journey and then you're like no there is no end like this is just it this is it yeah you gotta keep persevering keep keep getting up keep going honestly the look on her face when they do the hand thing it's like it's it's something that she's forgotten in a way something that she didn't know she needed like she just has this real look of i don't know awe and agony on her face like what a masterful performance by Shelley's theron who is just the best should be in all action films all the time my favorite genre of film is Shelley's theron beating up men i agree she's amazing I say this all the time, but she's one of the few actors that when they're in a film, I just forget that they've done anything else. They embody a role so completely. And she just does that. I just love that she has just gone, I'm going to be an action film star in like my later career. You're amazing. Love this for you. Yeah. Be the new Tom Cruise. Please. She's probably a foot taller than him, so it works. <laughs> That's not hard. It's incredible the way that she cries every time someone is hurt. She cries when she's scared. She cries when she... Like, she's crying the whole movie, practically, but... Hmm. 
she never stops doing what she needs to do. And I feel like, yes, I often get overwhelmed and cry. And it's not a sign of weakness. It's just that, like, I'm literally fed up and it's coming out of my eyeballs. Yeah, I'm an angry crier. So often when I'm fuming, I will be crying. And I'm like, this is fine. <laughs> We're just doing it. It's the worst, right? Because you just feel like you want to be on fire, but you are weeping. The inside does not match the outside. Um, did you have a character you wanted to spotlight? Look, it was really hard for me to choose between Furiosa and Max. Mm. But I think I'm going to spotlight Max because I think it's a brave thing to find your humanity again when you have learned to shelve that part of yourself in order to survive. Like he really has to allow himself to trust, which is incredibly difficult, but also to be vulnerable in a way because Mm. he has to care about these people in order to do what he does. And by caring, you're going to get hurt. Like that is a decision that he has to make. Like that makes surviving possibly harder for him. And he has to go on this whole journey with these women to teach them how to be a human again. And like, as I said before, surviving is not living. Yeah. You have to you have to do more than that. And I'm just really proud of him yeah. for finding that in that moment and realizing that, that it's not about him. It's not his story. Like he's not going to be the hero. He's not going to be the new Immortan Joe. He's just stepping back and getting on and yeah. persevering. So He was on yeah. the platform and then he wasn't. He decided that yeah. he couldn't make that last step. It wasn't his story. It wasn't his place. Yeah. Like he, d- he played his part and then he's a little bit better for it. So I want to spotlight him for that. I love that. How about you? Um, I have two, um, and I'm going to split the difference between them because I think that there's enough of a parallel that I can get away with it. (laughs) So I wanted to spotlight the Dag and the Keeper of the Seeds. There's something really powerful about the hope that these two share about how you can live and do what you have to do to survive. But the most glorious thing about both of these women is that they are hopeful. They do what they can to search for goodness and for a meeting and for a healing way forward. And when the Keeper of the Seeds is cut down, it's the Dag who takes the seeds she's the one who decides to be the keeper of the seeds like she takes that on and they even have the similarity of having both of them having the silvery white hair and and both of them being sort of subjected to this life of of violence that they don't really want to be living and i just really love them for it so yeah i guess mostly the keeper of the seeds but also the dag and her new role as the new keeper of the seeds i love that it was so hard there were so many amazing women i I almost picked dang hard but she's obviously splendid so i thought i'll shine a light on someone else but no i love that it's just so good. It's such a good film. I really honestly could go for another hour. <laughs> like, I have so it's much like a hundred and what, 118 minutes of pure car chase. And how, like, I think it's such an incredible thing that a film that is just an inverted commas, mm. an action film, a car chase film, a film with no dialogue, manages to have such immense depth of social commentary in it as well. You know, what it says about class systems, about the hoarding of resources, about looking after your environment and the value of your relationship with the land, like all these things you can read into it, how we treat women and you know the atrocities of war and all these things things that should be free like water yeah do not become addicted to water you will resent its absence dude you you literally need it to live (laughs) like you can't just say no one could have any water i mean he does he does do that i mean to do all of that when you look at the script, it's like, there's nothing here. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. It is mostly visual. Yeah. My my actual quotes are pretty thin on the ground because it was just scene by scene that I could really focus in on. Mm. Man, it's a good one. Well, this was great. Love this film. so good. Thank you for watching it with me. So much to get out of a film that genuinely, on paper, has so little going for it. <laughs> like, it seems wild and it says so much. It's, it's incredible. Incredible feat of filmmaking. Mm. I love it.
Um, well, next week we're kicking off season six of Marginalia Pod Woo-hoo. with Carry On by Rainbow Rowell, I'm which so I, for one, am very excited about. This is great. Did you reread it this week? You did, didn't you? I did. I reread it on well, Friday, I think, when I had my day off. Amazing. I just had to. I just had the itch. So, so we will good. be reading the book through the theme of expectations, and we'll start episode one reading chapters one to nine through the theme of coping. Hold on to your wands, rings, and magical swords because it's going to be intense and I'm very excited. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Well, thank you so much, Jen. This was so good. I am excited to be back after our break. I feel slightly, well, I feel very manic because I've been inside for a thousand years, but I am so excited to be doing something again and I'm glad that we took a break because we both needed a bit of time to just breathe. Yeah, restart the brain, top it up with some fun new things, and yeah, raring to go. Thank you. Thank you for partying with me. This was great. Always a delight. And I'll see you next week. All right, see you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining Jen D and Jen V for this one shot. Martin Daily Pod is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoy listening, please rate and review the show on your podcasting platform or choice. Feel free to write an email to say hi. The email address is hello at martinalypod.com. The intro and outro music is by Scott Buckley. The full show notes and additional content can be found at www.martinalypod.com. <laughs>